look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, an extended interview with Chris Mortensen of ESPN. As many of you know, Chris Mortensen has battled stage four throat cancer for much of the last two years. I can report some success, and I'll also report some of the sobering news in his life over the last couple of years. It's an extraordinary conversation, and I think you'll really enjoy what you have to hear from Chris Mortensen. But first, a little bit about how this story came about. I know we're in just finished week seven of the NFL season. Um, Sometimes in my podcast, I'm going to do different topics uh, and not necessarily who just won or who's got the hot quarterback or whatever. And the reason I wanted to do this story is that I think sometimes we get so caught up in our lives and we get so caught up in what we feel is really, really important. And, you know, life is important. Obviously, your job is important, your day-to-day existence. You know, I, I totally get it. We all have to work and we all have to do things that basically just move our lives on. But sometimes you hear a story and you hear about something and it just makes you stop. And it makes you say, wow. You know, I've had the experience in the last seven years, uh, both of my brothers died, both who were slightly older than I was, but they both died, both of them, very unexpectedly. And it's at times like that where you really start to think about yourself, about what you're doing, about how you live, your contribution to the planet, things like that. And so when I heard in January of 2016, uh, I guess about 21 months ago, that Chris Mortensen was battling stage four lung cancer. I just, I kind of got very emotional about it. And I got emotional because um, I've known Chris since the early 80s when I was a very young backup beat writer on the Cincinnati Reds. And he worked for a paper in LA covering the Dodgers. And he would come to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. And he was the life of the party. He was a cut up, he was fun. Uh, he was a nightclub comic. He was just a cool guy. And I thought, man, what a life this guy must have living in LA, covering the Dodgers, uh, the life of the party, all that. And so over the years, obviously I've got to know him very well, uh, through football reporting, seeing him all the time at league meetings, seeing him at various functions. Uh, we've gone out socially. Uh, it's just a, he's just a very, very good human being. Later in life, he's gotten quite religious and uh, really gotten quite faithful. Uh, 
and uh, he and his wife uh, are just extremely wonderful, God-fearing, just lovely, lovely people. And I thought to myself, Chris Mortensen, uh, when I heard about this this stage four throat cancer, I thought to myself, damn. I said, you know, is this guy going to be like so many people who I know? It happened to my father. It happened to both brothers of mine, where you work your whole life, and my father died at 64, and uh, he was a heavy smoker, and he died about nine months into what for him was going to be retirement, and he and my mom were going to go do a bunch of things. And I have basically, I, I I, I just kept thinking to myself, this is just so ridiculously unfair. And, you know, life is not fair. I get it. But that's one of the reasons why I was so invested in sort of over the last year or so texting Chris Mortensen. Um, he wasn't talking very much uh, during his, as you'll hear in this podcast, his excruciating treatments. Uh, but I just was so interested and I was just pulling for him so hard because I said, please, can you just give this guy... Uh, some years to just enjoy why he worked so hard over the years. And again, look, don't anybody out there say, oh boy, tough, you guys, it's tough life. You're sports writers, you're sports media, you get to go to all the games. Hey, never one time in my life will I ever, ever, ever complain about the life I've had. I've never worked a day in my life. I love my life. But there are times when I say, I'm kind of looking forward to the day when I can wake up on a Sunday, and my mind isn't totally occupied with, what am I writing today? What am I doing today? What am I, you know, occasionally, and again, I love my job, but I think I just, as as Chris Mortensen went through this process, that's one of the reasons I was pulling for him unusually hard, <laughs> because I've known a bunch of people in my life, obviously, you've gotten cancer and other very serious illnesses and haven't made it. And it's one of the reasons when when I went a week or so ago to meet him at a hotel in Bristol, Connecticut, in the conversation you're about to hear, why I just, you know, inside, I just sort of rejoiced when I saw how Chris was looking. Uh, He looks very good. And uh, I've got a story running this week at the MMQB where Chris, you know, he's a journalist, and I mentioned to him, I want to run some of the photos of you during your treatment. And folks, uh, these photos, some of them are not for the faint of heart. Uh, But I feel like I want to show you these photos because I'm a journalist. I want to show you what Chris Mortensen has gone through. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, I really, really enjoyed doing it. And again, we're not supposed to root in this business. We never do. Uh, but I found myself over the last 20 months or so, you know, occasionally just saying to myself, come on, Mort, you can do it. And, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad to bring you his story today. And now my conversation with Chris Mortensen. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Uh, I'm here in Bristol, Connecticut today talking to Chris Mortensen of ESPN. He's been there for 100 years. I've known him for about 110, and we're going to have a good conversation about life, about football, 
And about what in the world you think when somebody says, by the way, you have stage four cancer. So anyway, Mort, good to good to be with you. Peter, it's great to see you. You look great. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan so of yours. So do you. Uh, well, listen, as long as you can see me, things are good. <laughs> and if I can see you, things are good. <laughs> so, you know, for those who, who don't know, uh, and probably most do, Chris uh, has been the longtime uh, NFL reporter at ESPN and uh, was given, uh, a couple of years ago, I guess now, was given a shocking bit of news when he was told uh, that he had cancer. And I I hate to be morbid, but I'm going to start off right there, Chris, and just say, tell me about the moment when a doctor told you you had stage four cancer. Yeah, and it was, uh, Peter, it was early January uh, 2016. So we're not quite at two years. And it was within the first five days. Uh, so I don't know if it was January 4th or January 5th. I can't recollect right now. But uh, I had been having certain symptoms during the season, actually going back to August of that year, but nothing that I considered serious. I mean, one of them, by the way, was a dull, per- persistent earache, which you know, not 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 acute. That made you say, "Oh, it's such a bad Eric. I got to go to the doctor." It just was always kind of there. And then there were other things as as uh, the the months went on, where even during the season, where you know, I I have a heavy tongue anyways when I speak. My diction isn't always the best, but it felt heavier. Uh, you know, had my neck was getting a little bit swollen, but I said, you know, I have a tendency to gain weight, especially in season because you're working all the time, and I don't. Take care as as good a care of myself as uh, guys like Peter King or Adam Schefter, you know, uh, in terms of the exercise part of it. But and then, but you know, like I was having trouble swallowing. I was having a point where I was coughing up things, whether they were drinking liquids, and uh, eventually spit up some blood. When I spit up the blood, it was and, and that was during a Monday night uh, halftime before before we were going to do the halftime show. I You're just, in Bristol. I'm in Bristol. Yeah. yeah. I, I just I I. I you know, basically, the the next morning, I called or text my uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, uh, a guy named Doctor uh, James Raglan, R A G L A N D. Uh, he's in uh, Rogers, Arkansas, and uh, he had, he'd removed a couple other, car- you know, certain cancers from my lip and, and and my nose before, and I wasn't even thinking cancer. I just said, Hey, listen, I got I got to come see you, and so, you know, he said, Come see me Wednesday morning. Uh, and I went and saw him, and he uh, and I told him about the earache, and he said, eh, "So let me let me look at the ears." So he looks at the ears, and he goes, "Nothing there." I said, well, I, th- "I thought it was a joke, you know, like a punchline." You know, the whole thing is like, "X-rays of your head showed nothing, right, right? Showed right. nothing, right?" But he uh, he said, uh, "Open up your mouth," and so you know, he he looked way back at my throat, made me, you know, when doctors make you gag. Uh, I, I was doing a lot of gagging, and then. Uh, he took a little another look and he just said he just backed up and he said uh hold on a second so he went to the side of my neck and started filling up the side of my neck and uh as he was doing that i'm realizing i said you know that side of my neck is swollen and he said well he said chris he said i uh he said we're going to do we're going to do a biopsy right now he said, but uh, I can pretty much tell you what this is, and I can tell you what the path is going to say. He said, you've got stage four uh, throat cancer. 
Wow. And, 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 and which included the, 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 the throat and the base of tongue. And, uh, Imagine you walk into a doctor's office having no idea what he's going to say, and a half hour later, is that about what it was? About a I half think, hour later? I think less than that. <laughs> I, and, and the thing about it is he said, and paraphrasing, he told me, you need to prepare yourself for a very rough year or two. He said, and that's kind of like encouragement to you. And and if you read into that, it was like, or you won't make it past a year or two. And so uh, I had, you know, maybe I was like stunned for really only 15 or 20 seconds. Then I had questions to ask. And he said, let's do this biopsy first. And so he starts taking different samples. And and then uh, immediately what's racing through my head is what does it mean? And 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 I asked him about the staging, stage four, and he explained there's, it's a little tricky business staging even within a stage four there's different stages he said but he said if i were you with your resources your connections he said i would get my rear end down to houston and md anderson as quickly as possible isn't md anderson that's become the sloan kettering hasn't it it it, it has (laughs) i I mean listen there are other excellent cancer centers but uh, certainly in my region and i will nationally and and globally because i uh, you know it has such a great uh, reputation for for the right reasons, as I soon learned, and so. Uh, but what really went to my mind then, Peter, at that point was, you know, how am I going to tell Mickey, my wife, and uh, get a little emotional even now thinking about it. Yeah. I was not emotional with him, but uh, and I went home and I just, you know, I just told her, you know, my wife can tell you I'm pretty straightforward. I'm not. I don't really prepare people well. Like I'm one of those ones that say, hey. The cat just got run over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of. Did the cat ever get run over? Well, my my mother in law's cat did. You know, so <laughs> anyway, uh, not necessarily funny, but yeah. I, I went home and I it was the only way I could tell. I said I said, "Hon, I all I can tell you is I have stage four throat cancer," and uh, she literally crumpled to the floor. Wow. And. Uh, Actually, then ran ran to the back and was basically screaming, no God, no God. And yeah. uh, I was actually trying to console her. I was in good shape. You know, to me, emotionally, I'm emotional now talking about it. Yeah. But I was actually in, in good emotional shape by then, by the time I got home. And then uh, and then we were, you know, just, re- I told her, I said, don't worry, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I said, we're going to gonna get through this. I said, there are people who get through cancers, even stage fours. And uh, and she just was sobbing and crying and still, you know, still in rough shape. And then, you know, I consider it an act of God. We looked out. We got this place with 40 acres there. In, in Arkansas. Uh, in, in northwest Arkansas. And, and uh, we have six horses on it. And, and I just happened to look outside. I remember it was an overcast day. And it had never happened since we'd been in, the, in this property, but the horses got out of the pasture. Wow. So immediately, it's it's green acres. You know, it's, it's hey, horses are out of the pasture. We got to go out and get them in. Yeah. So there we are, you know, me running down the, the driveway, trying to get the horses back in the pasture. And Did you got, get them in? It was a, yes, yes, yeah. yeah it, it took a while, but thank goodness it took a while. Uh, because it kind of let things settle down, distracted from the intensity uh, and of uh, the emotions of that moment, and provided some humor and laughter, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then it was just so, 
So that was that was the day, and then uh, you know it was it was confirmed within 24 to 48 hours, and then uh, a lot of things events happened. You know, I had other issues like how to break it to the rest of my family, and and my son Alex, who was a graduate assistant coach at Alabama, then was getting ready to play the national championship game against Clemson, the one they won in, in wow. Glendale, Arizona. And, uh, and did I was, you go to the game. I did. And, and, and there's a little story behind that because I was going to be working countdown that weekend because it's a playoff, a wild card weekend. I'm not sure what it was. I think it was yeah. wild card weekend. And, uh, but with everything going on my, through my mind, it's Wednesday. Uh, I, and, you know, Mickey wanted to drive down and tell him in person. And I said, no, I said, we're not telling him before the game. I said, I don't want his mind distracted by it. Nothing's going to change. Yeah. I said, and you, you know, we still got to get maybe even more information. I said, but, uh, and she said, well, she goes, I can't go to the game. Uh, and she goes, well, I said, I'm going to the game. And she said, you'll be too emotional. I said, no, I won't. I said, I'll be fine. I said, the game will be a, a nice distraction for me. And uh, and I said if it's the last game I get to go to, of you know that that involves him, then I'm going. Yeah. So then it was a matter of just you know ESPN immediately. Uh, obviously, I, I contacted Seth Markman, uh, who's our senior coordinating producer for the NFL, and and uh, and told him. I think you know he certainly was shocked. Uh, and then I just kind of made a decision. I could have appeared on TV that weekend, but. I wanted to head to Arizona and just settle in yeah. to uh, get ready to watch that game. And, and ESPN was kind enough. And then I wanted MD Anderson to confirm the biopsy findings, which they did. And that happened after the game. I didn't tell Alex after the game because number either way, number one, they had won. I'm not going to yeah. spoil the celebration. Right, right. Number two, if they lost, I'm not going to kick him while he's down. <laughs> And uh, actually, we waited until the Thurs Thursday after that Monday night game against Clemson to to both tell him by speakerphone. But but he's a very rational, analytical guy. You know, he had a lot of questions. He had more questions than I had. And uh, and so you know, uh, he actually went with me on my first trip to MD Anderson. But we knew I was going to. I really needed to focus on 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 the the cancer and the extreme nature of it. And so made a decision I wasn't going to finish out the year at ESPN. I, had, I needed to jump right into this. And ESPN assisted behind the scenes with the Jimmy V Foundation contacts they had to help me get in contact with MD Anderson. I don't think it was – MD Anderson takes everybody. Uh, but I, it just getting that process going, so then it was just a matter of, okay, we're going to have to let the public know because you just can't disappear from TV right. two straight weekends and not explain it. And so – you know, we we explained it, and then we started the uh, the journey, the journey that uh, I'm still in to this day. So, Chris, you talk about it very rationally. Uh, what about the moments that you must have had in the first few days when somebody tells you that, when you go from maybe having a sore throat or having an annoying couple of things, and then somebody tells you this that. Uh, you know, for all you know, you don't, you hear those words and you hear stage four. You have no idea if you're going to make it or not. Yeah, well, one thing that the uh, the, the physicians, the doctors told me, uh, and, and I had a phone consultation and, and also with my own doctors, be careful what you read on the Internet because you'll read a lot of things. And many a times, lot of dire things? A lot of dire things, but yeah. many cases are unique to themselves and there's a lot of mitigating factors. So 
I was kind of I kind of turned into a little you know more of an information gatherer uh, at that point. But I'm I, I'm very good, and I think men are very good at this. And, I, and that's no slight on women. I think we're all wired differently. We're good at putting things in compartments. Yeah. And, and so you know I was putting things in different compartments, and so I didn't have go through emotions or the fear of what am I facing. And my brothers will tell you that, uh, you know, there was a little joke that, you know, I, I had nine lives because I've had near-death uh, instances throughout my life and, and, uh, or, or serious illness and not, nothing obviously quite as serious as this, although there were a couple. So I didn't, I didn't have this sense of fear. Uh, I really didn't. And it was really about managing Mickey and her emotions, and reassuring my family that I'm going to do what I have to do to get through this. But let's take this step by step, and we did, and and we you know got down to Houston and MD Anderson, and and uh, it started that process uh, with with a bunch of great oncologists. You know, um, primarily they assign you a surgical oncologist, a medical oncologist, and a radiation oncologist. And but there's a bunch of others involved in the process. Is uh, one day down at MD Anderson, I heard that you saw Craig Sager. I did. What happened? Well, this was you know pretty much into my treatment where where I've now into some serious chemotherapy and 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 uh, as they'd like to tell me it was a chemo chemo cocktail. It was ex- pretty extreme and and you know I was kind of had the, you know the hair was falling out, so I wore a ball cap. My face, I had an allergic reaction to one of them, and my face was really it was it was not pretty. And so I was wearing the surgical mask, but I was standing outside MD Anderson. It's probably about 5:30 in the afternoon, getting ready to go back to the hotel. Or I don't know if it was, whether we had rented a house by then. Uh, and all of a sudden, Craig comes popping out. Which, if you don't see, know what MD Anderson is laid out like, that's that's like finding a needle in a haystack. Right. And I immediately, because I know I knew Craig from Atlanta, you know, and I just, and of course, I knew what Craig was going through, except this. I, I said, Craig, and he looked at me, and he didn't recognize me, and then I realized, well, he's not going to recognize me because I have this mask on and my ball cap. I said, it's, I said, it's Mort, you know, and then he, we gave each other a hug, and uh, he goes, I said, how you doing? He, Everything okay? He said, no, I just, they just told me I got to go, up, you know, it's back. He goes, and nobody's ever had three stem cell treatments or whatever he was doing for it. He said, but I'm going to try it. You know, I'm going to try it. In fact, and you know, he was getting ready to do his interview with Gumbo. Wow. No, not Gumbo. It was uh, Bernie, I think. Goldberg. Oh, Bernie Goldberg. I think it was Bernie Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah. He just gotten out of there. Just gotten told. So yeah, it was. It was a. It was a tough moment, you know, to to hear that. And how long after that did he die? Well, I I think it was about eight months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, incredibly, I mean, he really had no business living eight more months. Right, yeah. You know, it really was incredible. Yeah. So um, what what would you say, Chris, as you're going through this whole thing, what was the worst moment that you had? What was the most painful, mm. lowest moment that you had? Well, I, listen, there were there were – I hate to say there were several, but there were several moments. But when you go through the uh, the radiation process, now MD Anderson is a proton therapy center, which is basically radiation. This is it's advanced and targeted, uh, sometimes targeted better. Uh, but eventually, your body is just giving out, and 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 the chemo, the extreme chemos they gave me, combined with the the type of radiation and whatever the protocols were, the 
the physician in chief at MD Anderson uh, had told me, he said, listen, I've, I've seen a lot of patients. Uh, he said, for what you had, it was one of the most extreme treatments. So, but eventually, you know, you, you in other words, the the chemo that they gave you the, was extremely was, heavy. Was extremely heavy, and then you go through. Then they let you kind of rest up for a couple of weeks as they get you ready for radiation and more chemo. And you must just be dreading when when you're going to be starting again. Well, yeah, but especially since you start to kind of bounce back a little bit, you know, you can't. I, I, we don't have time to describe the the horrors of what you experience yeah. in those instances. But uh, I'm certainly not alone in, in experiencing them. But you also, uh, you know, when you go through these radiation, they, they have to do 35 of them five times a week. And they have to lay them on top of each other for them to get to work because they kind of like they get to cooking and, and to basically try to extricate what they, as they told me, a really large tumor, a larger than normal, normal uh, problem is what we had. And then where was it exactly at the base of your tongue? Well, in the back of my throat and yeah. base of the tongue. And so, you know, you go through, uh, you know, you go through that and, and you're losing weight, but you're also, it's, it's, you're, you're it's just junk. I mean, you, there's stuff at the bottom of your throat and, uh, you're dropping weight. Then you're in the fight to kind of keep your weight. And they had told me, Hey, at some point we may have to put you on a feeding tube. But I was, Almost defiant, said, you'll never have to put me on a feeding tube. And finally, one day, I found myself begging them to put in a feeding tube, <laughs> which they did. And, and in fact, I had it on. I had the feeding tube in me for four, at least four or five months. Wow. And I was, I was hospitalized as well. And, I, and, and, and so, listen, at some point, I remember the last week of radiation. It was just, I was just telling them, like, just knock when, me when, out. When was this? Oh, this was probably in April and May. April and May a of, 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 of 2016. Right. And, you know, they, they, they fit you with this mask. I like to tell people it's kind of remind when you look at it. I have it at home because I had them send it to me. It was like Hannibal, something like Hannibal Lecture times three, you know, because they have to lock you down on a table where they manipulate, maneuver this machine that is shooting you with the radiation for 20 minutes or whatever it is at different positions and, you know, I, I've said they'll, they'll play music for you, and it was really nice music. My first request were Bruce Springsteen. The next, I realized I was listening to it where I was getting radiated one time, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm on fire comes on. I'm thinking, there's something about this doesn't feel right. I said, will you put on some Christian gospel music for me? <laughs> uh, so, so uh, but, you know, listen, at, at some point, in, in I, after everything was done, we're just going to fast forward and I remember them telling me, look, it's going to get worse now that the radiation is over. You know, once they were felt good enough to send me home, they were a little bit concerned because I had a lot of other mitigating factors about my weight was getting down to the low 140s. Uh, I was overweight. This is not the way to lose weight. I'm actually at a decent weight right now in the 170s. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, a lot of things weren't looking good. And uh, when they were finally felt comfortable enough to let me go, they told me, this, they said, you're going to get worse because radiation, you're, you're still cooking. You're still cooking for four, six, eight weeks after you're done. I said, still cooking. That's exactly the phrase they used. And others, others used it. And I had, In other words, what they're doing is they're shrinking the tumor. Is that correct? Exactly. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're shrinking the tumor for it to become effective. And the chemo had been very effective as well as far as shrinking the tumor. What uh, you know, there's an old saying though, though, that if the cancer don't ki kill you, the treatment will. Right. And uh, and so you know, and my my immune system was already challenged. I, I you know I'd, I'd ruptured my spleen, lost my spleen playing football. There were other factors, but 
you know, there was, I, I can honestly say, Peter, I never went through a pity party except for maybe two moments in July and August, maybe July last year, uh, when I when I, I actually wondered whether I would still be alive in two to four months. And and then it was like getting house in order type of stuff, you right, know, right. Getting, you know, and so... Yeah, and you really live in that. You know, to me, you were living hour by hour. Maybe I lived it in, in, in four-hour blocks. I was on a feeding tube. You're still trying to get food in you. And uh, you're weak. And, uh, you know, Mickey having to change, you know, the, the, the tube thing for it. It's, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were kind of low points. There's a, there's a, you know, physically, there's a lot of low, low points. Uh, fortunately... I've never really, uh, you know, other than that little pity party, maybe I had briefly. Uh, I've always been in pretty good spirits, and and I think you do that for the people you love. I'm not sure you do it for yourself, but it's it's also been my nature yeah. too. What what do you think you learned about cancer uh, in mm. this that you would want to pass along to people who are told? you have cancer what 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 occurs to you now that you've been through it uh you are not alone no that's one thing i mean that was the one thing that i did do i look at the statistics for how many can- people are diagnosed with cancer every year and the numbers are, are are ridiculously high and uh and so you know the other thing is that uh you know it, and I've talked about this with a lot of people Ned Warder as you know his story and his family and the loss of his son-in-law and what his daughter has been through but you know you, you just I have a tendency to be very independent and in many ways I was I mean I had friends come and visit me at times but after a while there was a cutoff mm-hmm. I I did I wanted to be alone I mean Tom Jackson came down there early on I t- said get down here now for chemo it's funny because the next week you know, it was like you know they all next week for for the next chemo session. They, they didn't even ask how I was in. They want to know where Tom was. He was so popular. Yeah. But uh, but the main thing is you're not alone. But the other thing is uh, there's hope. I mean, listen, cancer is making gr- tremendous progress, and and I think that uh, you know listening to the oncologist, you know, just taking care of yourself, focusing on it, and the other thing is is let humanity. Uh, just flow through you because at MD Anderson, I experience humanity at its finest. I experience, I'm talking about the people who take care, not just the oncologists, but the, the people who, the nurses, the people who worked in the building, the care, people at the reception desk, everybody. And you see, and everybody is worried about this country. And I, I'm seeing humanity, I'm seeing great Hispanic young people who are in the, working in the medical field. And, and to me, that is all about cancer because you know what? When I walked in the building at MD Anderson, I felt energy. I felt strength. And so it wasn't an intimidating place. If anything, it was a place that I was drawn to. And so it was the humanity and promise of, of young people. And, and yes, there were old, I mean, the doctors ex- are experienced. But when you see uh, so many nationalities, I mean, you name it. As you know, cancer is indiscriminate. And, and and it doesn't matter if you're you're if you're what color you are, what faith you are, uh, you know whether you're poor, rich. I mean, you know Joe Biden's son Bo had you know had been treated there at MD Anderson. I know a lot of people who were around when that was happening. Uh, 
Uh, Tony Corrente, the NFL referee, by the way, when we talk about people who are truly inspirational in terms of advising me and lifting me up and just keeping my spirits up, Tony played a, a huge role in that. Didn't he, have, he had tongue cancer, right? Yeah, he yeah. did. And, 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 and ironically, you know, a lot of times when people uh, would ask me who my oncologists were, there were different people in MD Anderson because it's, it's a huge population there. And I'd tell them, well, you know, I have uh, Dr. Merrill Keyes for medical and, and, and Dr. Uh, oh, I just draw, drew a blank. And, and Rosenthal uh, for radiation and my surgical guy, Dr. Randall Weber, uh, you know, they said, well, you, you got the A-team. I said, does that mean that people, other people don't get the A-team? They said, no, no, it just happens that you got the guys, if somebody here in this hospital got cancer, for what you have, that's who they would want. That's exactly who Ter- Tony Corrente had. Wow. And it was just by choice, by lottery almost. So we were able to exchange a lot of information, and, 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 and he is, his shared experiences were, were, uh, were true. And 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 and, and uh, so Tony and I have had a relationship be, uh, through this. I don't know if that answered your question, except that you just have to let others be involved. Even though there's a big part of me that still is is pretty independent and very private and personal, as I'm in the fight. What do you think people don't know about battling cancer? Oh, uh, that it. Uh, well, I think that I think it, I think that it just strips you of uh i I, i'm trying to just try there's a word for it i know this much it's 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 so personal and it's personal to you that i think there are times we just say i can't believe uh on the negative side like when you looked in the mirror at at some point you you really said i can't recognize myself that doesn't look like me and there was some. Sometimes I take a shower, and all of a sudden I had the blood, you know, just coming out of my nose gently, uh, you know. And so, uh, I think that uh, you 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 will never be the same. And in some ways, you'll never be the same for good reasons, you know, because I think you 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 learn to certainly treasure and value life. Not that I didn't, but uh, you learn how to live each day. Uh, I think with a with a great attitude. And as as it pertains to me, I mean, you know, I get up every day just, you know, thank you, Lord, and let's have some fun today. Let's enjoy it. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. In 1981, Muhammad Ali saved a man from committing suicide. For about 35 years, that's been the reporting. End of story. But after three years of talking to eyewitnesses, the LAPD, biographers, and a lone photographer... I think the chapter on this epic Ali miracle is just beginning. Everybody, Dwayne Johnson here to tell you about a new documentary podcast series titled What Really Happened? Narrated by award-winning documentary filmmaker Andrew Jenks in coordination with our company, Seven Bucks Productions. Ali talked Joseph down, but is there more to it? Was Joseph in on it? Was Ali showing the world that he could still talk, much less box? Why did Ali's people say Joseph was a Vietnam vet when, in fact, he wasn't? Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your shows to listen to What Really Happened. Available now. In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. Smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. 
so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter's different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. You can even get a head start on the interview process by adding screening questions to your job post to help identify the most qualified candidates. So you don't have to waste time sorting through a stack of resumes just to find the perfect fit. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate. And they get it through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish, all in one place. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and all industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, it's free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. One more time. Folks, it's free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash MMQB. And now back to my conversation with Chris Mortensen. Uh, just two more questions about this, and then let's get on with life a little bit. Uh, I'm really curious when you are dealing with something as absolutely serious as this, how did you sort of uh, keep going with life? And you would text me sometimes, and we'd talk about what was going on in the NFL, or we'd talk about things. And I wonder, was that hard for you to do a lot of days? Because I would assume there are some days where you say, I, I could care less about somebody's contract, man. I just want to be able to sit in a chair and not feel <laughs> sick. Well, I've never been much for contract reporting anyway, <laughs> even though I'm occasionally required to do it. Uh, but listen, there just sometimes it's a way to communicate with people you have relationships with. You forge relationships in this business. And, and some of those relationships turn into friendships, even though I caution against it for journalism students, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there were a lot of texts I didn't return. And uh, and there were days where you're so weak, and, and they're so weak some days where uh, literally I couldn't even pray for myself, you know. I, I'd have to ask Mickey or somebody else to hey, hey, pray for me. But that's in your, your weakest moments is you just, you're just kind of like existing. But I think, that, you know, when you have can connect to your world that, you, that you've – been so much a part of and that is you know covering sports and plus your friends by the way I heard from so many I reconnected with so many friends from going back and coaches going back to California so I reconnected with people way in the past in California people friends in Atlanta certainly and so uh and so in football and 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 baseball or whatever is a healthy distraction MD Anderson real quick I mean, it's like, you know what a baseball fan I am. I'm a big Arkansas Razorback baseball fan. Go to a lot of games. Saw Dallas, Dallas Keiko pitch when he was in college. And, and Andrew Benatendi, uh, wow. uh, Benny Baseball, as we call him. All those guys play. 
But uh, Arkansas went down there to play in kind of a round-robin tournament, and I I was in chemo and actually went down there, and the Astros set me up right behind home plate. And so uh, it, it – uh, is it Sunkissed Field? What's uh, Minute, it? Maid. No, Minute Maid. Minute Maid. Oh, yeah. 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 Strike that, not Sunkissed. <laughs> Minute Maid. Uh, so I don't know. It's uh, I, I think that's part of normalcy. You have to experience it, to, to, I think, to, in order – I think it's part of the, the good stuff of recovering from cancer. Who – who would you say from the NFL did you either lean on or who who would you say you you were either talking to texting with a lot during this whole thing I like who did you lean on mm. well first of all the the entire uh NFL family not NFL family but there you know the whole network of people there were so many in fact, there's was one thing I was told is be careful. You're not going to be able to answer all the text messages or emails, uh, you know. But there were really people, people I were close to. Merrill Hodge had cancer, so Merrill. And Tom Jackson, you know, was, you know, he's like he's like a brother to me. And Chris Berman. I mean, there's, so some of those people that you're actually, you know, they're not in the NFL, but they're, there was always coaches and, and, you know, players. And, you know, obviously everybody knows my relationship with the Mannings and, you know, people think it was always about Peyton, but really Archie and I were were the ones who were close in age together. So Archie would touch base, send a text every day. You know, and, and so there were there were too many to mention. But as I said, and I mentioned Tony Corrente, uh, you know, him having that experience, and fairly recently with the same doctors, we 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 end up with a real connection. But but you know what? He, even my old sports editor at the Daily Breeze in Torrance, California, Mike Waldner, he he dropped me more emails, and I still haven't answered like ninety percent of them. Tell me about. Can I tell you one quick story? Yeah, go ahead. You know one that, uh, and I was close and, and truly admired Lamar Hunt, the, the late owner of the Chiefs who died of cancer. Clark, his son, who's now running the Chiefs. We don't know each other real well, but he wrote me a beautiful letter. Right at the start of it, that was it was really moving and moving and and you know his 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 mother Norma I was close to you know she she'd always be the one who answered the phone at the home, but uh, there's something about that letter that stuck out to me as well. But but so many too many to mention and, and Arthur Blank and Jerry Jones and I don't know really there's just a community out there that uh, good friends good friends. Um. What happened when you broke the story of Peyton Manning's retirement? Yeah, you know. Uh, and what were you doing that day? Actually, I think this it, was March. I think he's nineteen yeah, or two thousand sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. I think he's okay with me telling the story because he, 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 I've told it. He actually called me up and said, "Hey, listen, I'm just calling a few people uh, to tell them, you know, I'm going to retire on Monday or something like that, whatever it was." Yeah, I'm gonna. What was this like? This is it's like a ahead. Friday or a Saturday. It might have been. And 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 uh, he said, "Do you do you want to report it?" And I said, "Well, I'm not really working." He said, "Well, do you have somebody you want to report it?" I said, "You know, I, I think I kind of would like to report it. Make me feel you know normal again, you know." And uh, and he said, "Well, can you do me a favor?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Can you give me one last night as an NFL quarterback out to dinner with my friends and family?" I said, "Who am I to deny to, to to deny you that?" Since he was really calling for another reason, as opposed to, "Hey, I want, do you want to break the story?" I think it was really let you know, heads up, let you know. Uh, so it had to be Saturday. You know why? 
because I remember I read your story on a Sunday morning and I immediately reached out to Brady and Brady, Brady, uh, had, had just had, had, I think he got a call. I think you did too. And, 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 and that morning when I reached him that morning, he was in Manhattan watching his son play soccer at a West side soccer field. How about that? That's great. Well, you, you know, here's the thing about it is, so I did let, one or two people know at ESPN, uh, Seth Markman, he was very nervous about sitting on it. I said, no, this is not even a discussion whether we're sitting on it. I said, if somebody else breaks it, so be it. But I gave my word. And that's, you know, your word has got to be your word. Yeah, yeah no. It was interesting. Interesting story. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was also curious now, how are you? What's your status? Are you still in treatment? Have you won? Is this a lifetime battle? What's your status as we sit here right now, October 2017? Peter, I'm going to say it's a lifetime journey, which means, yes, it's a battle. Uh, Last August, late last August, I think you'll probably remember we had a little bit of a a, a statement saying that, uh, you know, basically the the cancer for which I had been treated for was virtually uh, now without, I was, they did not detect any more cancer. What I was aware of was that there was some spots in my lungs that they were hoping were just radiation remnants, you know, kind of stuff that just happens in the course of radiation treatment. Uh, didn't even tell Mickey about this. But, uh, but you know, I knew they said, look, we'll check it. Don't worry about it. We'll check it in three months. And, and then uh, I went back in about two and a half months, and when they uh, did the scan of, of everything, uh, I was still cancer-free at the original site, which was a big victory. Uh, and they, uh, but the problem is that there were uh, some nodules that had grown uh, in my lungs, and specifically in my left lung was where the largest nodule was that lit up the, the scan. And I, I knew, but they said, look, we got to biopsy this. And so uh, I said, let's do it next week. I went down, got Mickey. And uh, pretty much prepared, every, you know, just said, look, let's just ex- anticipate it's going to be malignant because it, it grew and they want to do a biopsy. Is this August 17 or 16? No, this is August of 16 when we declared me semi-cancer-free, but in the back of my mind knowing it was November when we did the the, the scan that determined that uh, – we were going to have a biopsy, and we did the biopsy, and it came back malignant. So now I have uh, a recurrence of the cancer that has metastasized to my lungs. And so then it was a matter of what kind of treatment, because uh, I certainly wasn't up for uh, chemo or even any more radiation. But there's uh, you know new targeted therapies for this type of cancer that I qualified for based off what I had and other markers. I can't even tell you. And it's called immunotherapy. It's uh, like immuno, like immune system therapy. And it's the drugs you're seeing, uh, like Keytruda, you know, uh, Opdiva, whatever. Uh, I'm on Keytruda. And uh, they talked about putting me into a trial that had a, another mix of cocktails, but it was a really rigid program. And they said, uh, my oncologist, Dr. Keys, big Bears fan, big Gil Sayers fan, by the way, uh, he, uh, he was really upbeat and positive about treating it with Keytruda. And it's really a, a one, every, he goes, it's once every three weeks. It's, it takes about 30 minutes to get in you. And uh, 
you know, we're having really what are the after effects? Really good results. Well, it varies. If you read read them all, you, it's like any anything like taking any medicine. There's 50 after side effects listed. Yeah. And I, the only one I've experienced is uh, some fatigue and some joint pain. But I mean, I know others like uh, Holly Rowe has it in her lungs, and she's mm-hmm. taking the exact same drug, but she has these rash, you know, where she has to itch like crazy. Uh, but the good news is, after about you know, one every once every three weeks, I probably have had 15 or 16 or 17 cycles of this. Is that every time they scan me, they have either uh, reduced in size, or disappeared, or stabilized. Now I'm getting ready to get scanned, you know, in another couple of weeks, and I would say the scans, Peter, are the only time where you have some feeling of anxiety. I'm not a guy who who has anxious moments. Right. Adam Schefter can tell you that. I'm just not a high anxiety guy. Uh, but, uh, so that's the only time. So, uh, but that's been good news. And, uh, but at the same time, I, I've asked, how long does this go on? They said, maybe forever. And of course they have to make sure it doesn't metastasize to anywhere else. So right now it's metastasized to my lungs. I'm still clean at the original site. Uh, I am dealing with some of these side effects of radiation, swallowing, creating saliva. I have a machine I travel with, which I'll show you later that I, I, I get strapped into uh, twice a day, sometimes that night before I go to bed, so that I can just uh, it drains my lymphatic system because one of the uh, things I have is lymphedema, which is just something that clogs your lymph system and how it drains properly. Is uh, is is it hard? Like I would assume that your salivary glands have really been affected by this. Yes. So when you're speaking, when you're on television. Do you ever have issues with saliva? Do you ever, is it ever hard to talk? The great thing about it is people probably don't notice a difference than before. Because cause I would say. Uh, no, because I mean, I'm listening to you right now. You talk, I, I expected for you to sound a lot different. Yeah, I, I, stu- I, I, I will stumble over words, but yes, especially the first time I, I did a couple of uh, remote shots with. Uh, NFL Insiders. I think we had a show called the NFL Insiders at the time. <laughs> and uh, and I can remember, and Susie Colbert was the host, and I remember she asked me how I felt that day, and I said, I'm nervous, which I've never, you know, I, I don't normally feel nervous about being on TV. One of the reasons why, though, is like, yeah, I mean, after about 25 seconds, you know, I was having to take a sip of water. But Jim Kelly, who, as you know, has had cancer and had neck cancer, Jim Kelly actually turned me on to a product that he said, hey, try these. Uh, they're called Xylomelts, and uh, and there's also Xylomelt spray, which you probably can see over there, and it helps you with your, your dry mouth and helps create saliva for you. So uh, I have water near me constantly, and if I start talking more than 30 seconds, it can be a problem. Sometimes I just do it, and it happens okay. Now, I've hydrated well before you came here. I've, just, <laughs> I've sucked on four of those lozenges, lozenges before you came here, and I'm doing okay. Uh, so... So that's uh, yeah, that's problematic. How, how would you say your? Do you think your life has changed <laughs> yeah. significantly, in how you live your day to day life right now? You know what? Right now, no. Uh, I will say this: uh, on Mondays, you know, like I'll, I'll come in. We do Sundays show. We watch the games together, which is actually a joy uh, to watch games together. Uh, and Sunday night game, and then wake up in the morning, read Monday morning quarterback. Uh, and then uh, I'll go in and do uh, sports center. Sometimes Mike and Mike, you know, put on a tie, uh, do a couple sports centers, and then outside the lines if they need me. But 
instead of doing NFL Live, I actually am now, oh, let me say this. I, I have kind of like waved the white flag and said, okay, I need to go take a nap to get ready for Monday Night Countdown. So on Monday afternoons, that's the only thing that's different. What are you, 65? 65, I'll be 66 on November 7th. So, uh, you know, and I'm not, I've never been a nap taker. So I'll come lay down and rest, and, and I found that rest, let's say this, I get more rest uh, than I used to because it's necessary. Other than that, not a whole lot has changed about my life. I think that, uh, I mean, I still, you know, I haven't golfed as much. By the way, I mean, I, it's kind of funny because this was like a punchline to a joke. I mean, like a few months, four, four, about three or four months ago, I needed hernia surgery, you know, which was actually no big deal. I kind of laughed when I knew I needed it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I haven't golfed much. But then again, when I was playing golf, you, you know the you know the deal. Uh, it, can't hit them very well, anyways. But no, I don't think my life's changed drastically. Uh, you know. It has and it hasn't. I, eating is differently. 80% of my intake is, is liquid. But, I mean, I've got this, as you see, I've got this blender here, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting more nutrients into that blender than I ever would have eaten uh, before. You know, I'm not going through fast food restaurants and stuff like that. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Who knows why I got cancer? That might have been it. <laughs> it's the MMQB Podcast. State Farm knows that for football fans, your car and your home are more than just stuff. They're some of your most valuable possessions, the things you've worked hard for and have made a lifetime of memories with. Whether it's that truck that gets you to every tailgate or the place where you watch your favorite team with your favorite people. But life can be a real tough opponent. That's why when it comes to finding the right home and auto insurance, you need a strong defense, a seasoned pro like State Farm. They understand it's more than just a car or a house. So why not give it the protection it deserves? It's just one more way that State Farm is here to help life go right. See how they can help you by talking to a State Farm agent today. And now back to my conversation with Chris Mortensen. So, Mort, let's, let's talk a little bit about football and about our business um, before we uh, get away. So the, the, the one thing that I've always thought about how you did your job. And the one thing I've always really admired about how you did your job is that you're extremely careful. Cautious. So you're cautious about stories. That's why I want to talk a little bit about deflate gate here. So let's go back. Bob Kravitz of the Indianapolis Star writes that the NFL is investigating whether the Patriots tampered with footballs in the AFC championship game January of 2015. You end up reporting that many footballs that were used, 10, 11, 12 footballs that were used, were two pounds or more under the prescribed limit. And I made a couple of phone calls at the time. I got one person, and I said, what do you think of this story? And the person I talked to said there's definitely something there. Yeah, they were underinflated for whatever reason. And, 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 and I'll, I'll tell you this uh, version, and I'm sure we'll get to the next step, but so I, I, re- I remember Bob Kravitz, Indianapolis Star, uh, at the time, did the reporting on Sunday night. Monday was, I- I'm not sure what happened Monday. I wasn't even paying attention to it because I was really getting ready to go to Arizona because I wanted to get to the Pro Bowl, out to the Pro Bowl. 
I like the Pro Bowl because there's a chance to be around players when they're relaxed. And uh, I also want to get out of the cold weather and into the warm weather. Uh, so I was packing up on Monday and Tuesday morning. Uh, wasn't even thinking about what had happened with the Patriots on Sunday because they had pretty much dominated the game. was aware of what Bob had reported. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I had, was determined to go see American Sniper, which had just come out, story of Chris Kyle. Uh, and I actually went to an IMAX theater nearby and went and saw American Sniper. And then I got came home, and I just had a checklist of things to do before I was going to leave. And one of them was on there was check on uh, Patriots footballs. You know, it was like that. So I uh, I did send uh, a text out to somebody. I said, so, and my question was pretty basic. So how many footballs are we talking about? I did, All I wanted was like, because there was nobody, nobody had said how many footballs. And I got an answer back that says 11 of 12, dot, 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 two pounds under, which kind of got my attention. So I pick up the phone and call that person and uh, basically was like, I've told you what I can tell you. And so, and, and that was a very brief conversation, very brief conversation. So I... I thought, well, that's, that's, you know, there's some different questions I should be thinking about here. I said, but I, I have to call and talk to somebody else. So I called somebody that I trust even practically more implicitly than the person uh, who provided that information, but certainly should have knowledge. And the, the person I ended up talking to, we probably talked for 15 or 20 minutes, and, and he said, and he, and he basically advised, he said, I would just stick with significantly underinflated. He goes, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, and, and so the two pounds kind of disappeared in that conversation, but it still stuck with me that this other person had said two pounds under. And then, then I had to start asking, well, what's the minimum requirement? Because I didn't even know what, 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 12.5 to 13.5. Yeah, I started to have to ask those basic questions. And, and then, you know, but this person also said, look, there's a lot more that went, went on Sunday. Because I'm sitting there saying, does it really matter? I mean, this conversation, because they killed him. I mean, you know, and, and he said, there's a lot more that went on, you know, so things that I didn't know at the time were, I didn't realize the balls had, the disapp had disappeared yeah. at halftime or the confiscation of the footballs at halftime, or maybe Bob had reported. It. I'm not sure. I don't, either way, uh, you know, but, the, but he, this person confirmed 11 footballs. My, my focus really were on the 11 footballs, you know, and, and, uh, and so, but I went ahead and called the news desk and said, look, here's what I've got. Uh, probably, I think I should file something. Uh, the normal cautious Chris Mortensen you talked about would have actually stopped and said, what don't I know about this story? But I went ahead. They said, well, can we get you on a phoner for ESPN, for SportsCenter? And I said, yeah. And, and and then next thing you know, they said, hey, can you come in the off? Can you come and do Sports Center in the morning too? And I said, I'm going to fly out tomorrow. I said, well, we really need you. So all of a sudden, it's a, it's just like uh, I just I just decided to tweet. Source says 11 of 12, two pounds under. But in the meantime, I'm now jumping on Sports Center to talk about it and semi writing, but having a news editor kind of write it up. And, uh, and, you know, the fact that I had the, the second source who I actually had a better relationship with 
explained, I would just stick with significantly underinflated. And there's more to tell you on this story, but not now. Okay, so that tweet, we know what the attention that it got. There's no question the, the attention it got. The next day in the morning, I can remember on Sports Center. first of all, by the way, there was no Tom Brady. No source ever identified Tom Brady. I never named Tom Brady. Uh, as deflating the football. As deflating the football. Yeah. 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 Or ordering the code red. Or, <laughs> but yeah. Or, or by the way, yeah, you could probably infer that somebody deflated them. But even then, I didn't have anybody said somebody deflated them. I just, you know, they found eleven of the twelve footballs. That to me was significant. That was a significant number of footballs. If they had said three or four, or two, I don't know how I'd react. But then I remember being on on Sports Center, and I said, "Look, Tom Brady could have been throwing frisbees yesterday or Sunday." And he would have beaten this team by 30 points. I said, so I don't think it had an impact. Uh, and uh, I said, I said, you know, some people will say, you know, well, it helps with the rainy weather and that type of stuff and better grip. But, you know, we all know the quarterbacks are kind of uh, anal about their footballs. Right. But I still didn't say – I still had nobody who told me that Brady was involved. And then on Thursday uh, – now I'm required to stay back here and talk about it. But on Thursday, Belichick has his first press conference. And if you remember at the first press conference, when he was asked about the football, he said, you have to ask the quarterback about that. You know, he was a, other than our analyst, you know, who, who suggested, well, Brady would have to be no. I didn't say any of that. But Bill was actually the first guy to say, you have to ask a quarterback about that. And then by Saturday, he had the, uh, the, the Mr. Science or whatever you would right. call it, uh, press conference, which was hilarious, as you remember. Yeah. Uh, but nobody had ever mentioned, by the way, there was no ideal gas law being discussed right. at the time. There was no Tom Brady ever being identified by any source. And as I started to hear uh, that maybe the, these numbers are pretty, you know, conflicting. You know, there, there's some that are, you know, close to two. Actually, the, the, I think Joe Gardy, the letter he wrote was actually an error. He had it two, uh, what do you have, like 2.4 under? Even that proved not to be true based off the Ted Wells report. But either way, uh, my focus was the 11 of 12. The attention was the two pounds. Uh, where I have disagreed, and I still will to this day, it did not, uh, it did not ignite the Ted Wells investigation. I know there were owners behind the scenes, and because of the circumstances of the balls disappeared and this and this and this happened, that they were going to do it based off what had happened certainly prior with all the criticism they got because of Spygate. Uh, that being said, uh, I did eventually get back to somebody uh, in the league office. I said, look, I said, if there's anything I need to clarify, I said, I've done these two things. You know, had somebody say two pounds under and had somebody else tell me just, you know, significantly underinflated. But I said, I'm hearing variances here. And I said, anything I need to clarify or correct would you tell me? Would you please tell me so I can do it you know, before I leave for Arizona? You're fine. You're good. Just hey, let the investigation go forward, but you're, 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 you're fine. You're okay. So I'm not going to blame anybody but myself because I've done journalism long enough to know that the right questions needed to be asked. Not only that, but on, on the Tuesday night in which that information was given to me, that would have been like, okay, I've got – really some more interesting information this is a developing story and in, in, in the I'll say the old days probably who knows how many days it would have taken for me to write anything 
but uh, it do certainly you, was. It certainly hung out there and stuck out there. Do you regret not having issued a correction on the original tweet? Yeah, I do. We did. We did on the website page eventually, but I should have. I should have tweeted something that said once the report came out. By the way, because mm-hmm. by the way, I never got verification or confirmation. That it was that were variables, and to be honest with you, as we learned, the Patriots were asking the league to clarify. I would have had no problem whatsoever because I had already asked for them to clarify, correct my story, please correct them. And and the Patriots, because they felt they were being smeared, which obviously it was. It was an indictment, uh, uh, just in the furor that it created. Uh, I would have been fine with that. And so, but at the same time, when Wells' report was released. And really, we had known by then, yeah, should I have tweeted something that says, I regret that this original tweet, even though I said you know, significantly underinflated, which, by the way, you could still argue, depending on who you talk to. We don't argue whether there were 11 balls or 11 of 12 balls, which was my original question, by the way. And the other thing is, when, when I was asked to go from reporter to analyst or you know, commentary, I and and... I, I said, I don't understand why this is going to the investigative stage. I said, this should be cleaned up in the competition committee by the time they get to the yeah. scouting combine. I always, I always have felt about this story that this was the sanction in this case, in my opinion, should have been a strongly worded letter and a whatever, a $25,000 fine. And, and here's the reason why. Okay, so you remember, Chris, that... In 2006, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning essentially went to the competition committee. I know. And said, we want the ability to uh, break in these footballs before the game. Because many times when we take footballs out of the box at a football game, it feels like we're throwing uh, you know, a stick of butter. They're slippery. That's right. Uh, you know, and so and so the NFL allowed that to happen. So the NFL allowed quarterbacks and teams from 2006 to 2015, those 10 seasons, and they still do, but I'm just going to refer to this. For those 10 seasons, they allowed uh, the quarterbacks and teams to be able to break in the footballs that they to were going the to balls, use yeah. to treat the balls. And... Okay, at home games, those footballs, those at the time, 12 footballs were going to be the province of the ball boy at the home game. Right. But at, on road games, you basically had to hand the bag of footballs to the officials before the game, and then the officials, you know, check the balls for the, for the uh, inflation right. level, and then they give it to a ball boy in that stadium. The, the, the visiting team does not get to control the footballs in that visiting stadium. So I have always thought that the real test of this, did Tom Brady have any sort of advantage at home versus on the road in that 10-year period? Because if he was, for instance, 15 ratings, ratings points better mm-hmm. or a much better touchdown-to-interception ratio, if he's... Then you could say, okay, there's something to this. I went back and I logged 
the I think it's uh, you know all the regular season games in that ten year period. I believe it was like I don't know eighty six games versus eighty six games, uh, something like that. Eighty games versus eighty. And when I did the numbers, they came out almost precisely equal. In other words, the touchdown to interception ratio was exactly the same it was like plus 80 or something like that the quarterback rating was exactly the same within one point so my only point is that roger goodell killed an ant with a sledgehammer and this thing dragged on for two years and it became a cause celeb when in my opinion the punishment just simply didn't fit the crime well we don't disagree i mean and my feeling was I mean, as I said, we know that the balls were inflated to, quote, proper levels for the second half, and Tom threw the ball great in the second half. We yeah. went on to go, go to the Super Bowl, you know, the, the Seattle game. Uh, did they lose it? No, that's the one they won. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, listen, in fact, I, I can remember now, uh, just a side story to that, it was on that Thursday press conference that Belichick had, uh, I remember tweeting something like, "I found Bill, I find Bill, Belichick very credible on this," you know, because he was pretty hacked off about it. And I actually got a call from a prominent coach in this league who said, uh, "You know, our PR guy just showed me your tweet saying you found Belichick credible." And I and he said, "Why would you do that?" I said, "Because I did." And I said, "I said, what would it matter?" I said, "Brady's." I said, "He, he clearly controlled football without," you know, and he said. He said, "If you looked at their fumble ratio, and he goes, go back to 2007 and look at the fumble ratio. And I said, well, okay, you know, but, but as, bottom line is, is that the league and I have had what I would call influential executives and people on the competition committee agree with me. It, this should have gone to the competition committee as just a tweak, fine-tune whatever your rule is, and it could have gotten off with whether it was what you suggest, a letter, or even if they wanted to dock them a fourth-round draft pick or or whatever. But for what it became, it wasn't worth it. I know yeah. this much. For a guy who doesn't let lets a lot of things roll off his back, it bothered me because it because it really bothered my my family, my wife in particular, because it got pretty vicious. We, uh, where are we? We're in the New England area. And it got to the point where, you know, listen, I couldn't go out to dinner. Uh, social media was, if you went on, I mean, I, even now, I mean, to, to be honest, and we'll, we'll get by the subject is, uh, and it's, I had a, every once in a while, somebody will tweet something about, you know, I always get this 11 out of 12, 11 out of 12. And I, I want to tweet back saying, yes, actually, no matter what, it still was 11 out of 12, right? But uh, but Brian Curtis of the Ringer wrote after talking to you a year ago that you got death threats over this. No, yeah, but but listen, I've had you get death threats. It's it's what level is what DEFCON level of death threats? I mean, like you know, I can get a. Did I, you ever get one that worried by, you? By, by the way, I uh, no. Uh, listen, I got some that concerned me. You know, and I and I I made I made you know Mickey. We were releasing a house here, and and I just sent her back to Arkansas and sent her there. Uh, you know, I can I can defend myself one way or the other. Uh, but but the the thing about it is, it's just that I, I mean, I had a tweet the other day. I mean, somebody replied and said said like, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it because there were some cuss words in it. It says. Are you still? You haven't died yet, <laughs> you know. So I actually had a true laugh out loud moment because that sounds like something I would say to one of my friends, by mm-hmm. the way. But uh, but you know, I understand 
the passion, the tenacity is a little bit over the top, especially since, you know, the fact that that first tweet was not correct, not accurate. The, the source was not accurate, but I'm responsible for the source, uh, even though I did. But you know what is all, you, you said this at the beginning, and you're absolutely right. And I, I've said this to people. They don't want to hear it, people in New England. If you think that that tweet or my confirmation of that of your story, which I did confirm it, because at the time I asked, who knows if I asked the same people that you were asking, but I do know this, that the people in that league office believed that that story was absolutely true at the time, somehow, some way, for some reason. But the only point I'm making is that I think it is absolutely ludicrous to suggest that reporting like that led to the NFL, uh, you know, hiring Ted Wells and spending $8 million yeah. on it. It's what, it's what the NFL had when their employees who were in Foxborough that day, uh, whether they came back to the league office and reported it or whether they phoned, whatever they did, you know, that is where this all came from. Absolutely. And, you know? and, the, rapid, I mean, the, and the thing that bothers really bothers me the most out of it is is my admiration for Tom because you know he's a prince of a guy as you know yeah. I mean he's a wonderful guy and he's always always treated me well and uh and I was really moved uh at the last Super Bowl when we learned about his his mother Gay Lynn having cancer yeah. it really kind of brought things around and 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 when he talked about his dad being his hero I knew what he was talking about because I know what his dad has had to go through being a caregiver for his wife and Tom's mom. So that's that's the thing that probably is hurt most is knowing how much uh it hurt Tom's family and uh and so but you know I move forward I I I I sleep well at night and and uh people if they if they want to create their own stories with with what happened so be it. Uh finishing up with Chris Mortensen. So Mort um uh... Now that you've been through this huge moment in your life and you can now look at the next X number of years, what's the most valuable lesson you've learned over the last two years since you were told uh, of this uh, incredibly life-changing, life-altering event? Share the emotions that you feel for people with them when you have the opportunity if you love somebody tell them you love them if somebody's done something for them tell them how much you appreciate it don't let the moment pass you by because you never know if you'll have another chance and it wasn't just because it related to my mortality but i know this has happened to you you've lost brothers uh been to a lot of funerals or have had to send a lot of cards a lot of flowers life is fleeting and so, you know, I learned that my mortality is, is real. And, uh, and at the same time, it taught me that, you know, if I have an opportunity to just say thank you to somebody or, hey, if I haven't told you I love you, I love you. No, by the way, Peter, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do it. So but basically, I think it's made me, uh, I, I think it's maybe brought out some of my humanity in me, even though I like to think I practice it. I think it's brought some of my own humanity out in me, and I, not only that, but I probably have told my 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 brothers, 
you know, I have three brothers. I, I don't think I ever tell them I, I love them in, in 50 years, but I probably have told them 100 times in the last two years. Hey, you know, before we go, I just need to ask you one other thing. Your son, Alex, former quarterback at Arkansas, right. is now on Nick Saban's coaching staff at Alabama, as you referred to earlier. And I would be remiss if I didn't, if I didn't ask... So you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table or Christmas table or whatever table, and you Those are say football to times. Him, Nobody's ever around a Thanksgiving table or Christmas table. Right, okay. All right. Well, Easter table. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> you know, but if you say, so, what's it like to work with Saban? Well, you know, I've known Nick a long time, but I've never worked with him. I think he would tell you that it's probably the richest, richest experience of his football life. And he's had a long one. I mean, this is a kid who used to go to training camps with me and sit in, you know, in interviews with Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and go to Pro Bowls where I'd catch him in the locker room grilling Peyton Manning in the, in the Pro Bowl locker rooms, you know. But I think it's been Alex's richest experience. I think he's... Listen, he's turned down NFL opportunities and he's coached uh, other college opportunities. But once he got in under Nick, he said, I'm, I'm getting my master's and my doctorate in football under Nick Saban. And he's an offensive assistant, right? He's an offensive analyst at this point. Offensive he, he, did, he, he actually was the graduate assistant on offense. Uh, for the previous three years, and you you can only serve a max of three years, usually as two. As a grad assistant? As a grad assistant, usually two, but he earned a third academically. And and he's a physical being, so, but, uh, and I'll say this, you know, the same, look, first of all, I'm blessed by him, my wife, Mickey, and I, he's, 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 he's a tall, strong, good-looking, man of integrity, we're most proud of that. But I know he's a heck of a coach because I've had too many people tell me that. And, in fact, Joe Pendry, the old NFL coach, it's kind of the concierge there with yeah. Nick Saban there. Joe called me up at the end of this past year after they lost to Clemson and said, Chris, it's been a while since I called you. I just want to tell you one thing. And he said, he said your son is special. He said he could be an offensive coordinator for a Division One team right now. Wow. And so uh, – So you think Alex is going to be – you think he'd be a head coach in college oh, someday? I, I have no doubt. He has tremendous leadership And do you skills. think he wants to be in college football versus the NFL? I, Probably, yes. I mean, you know, you'd have to ask him that. I'm not technically supposed to talk about him too much. Uh, but at the same time, no, he's learned a lot. I think he likes the fact that there are young people. He likes young people. He connected with young people. At New Mexico Highlands, they had, they had an 8-3 and three season, which is a Division II school. I, and, and he was – they hadn't had a winning season. And I think it's the only winning season in 17 years when he was there. But I know he, he really enjoys that. He's got leadership qualities. He's, he's, he's getting his master's or doctorate in football. He's very – important vital there uh and at the same time he's, he's a great young man good looking young man man of integrity and i think there's gonna be great things i just want to be able to kind of kick around for a few more years to enjoy it peter <laughs> chris mortensen it's been fun it's been revealing and uh i'm glad you made it through peter we're uh it's just uh it's still the journey and if i haven't told you lately i love you you're a good man thanks more all right peter bye Thanks to my guest, Chris Mortensen. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Roger Goodell, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. 
You can also hear this podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, ZipRecruiter and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.